None of y'all are allowed to make fun of me for my socks, okay? I, I, I took my uh, family to Disney um, just a few weeks ago. Yeah, you can, you can say yeah for that. I'm broke now, but, <laughs> but we went to Disney. Um, but anyway, there was a Snapchat picture running around because I had my socks on in the hot tub. So, <clears throat> good morning, Cornerstone. All right, so look, I like people to talk back to me, so I'm going to say that one more time. Good morning, Cornerstone. Good morning. Good morning. Um, today we're going to talk about freedom. So I want to start with a question. When was the last time that you felt free? That's not rhetorical. I want you to really think about that. When was the last time that you felt free? Maybe you're like me, and maybe it was on a summer vacation. Summer vacations have a way of making us feel free, do they not? When was the last time that you felt free? Maybe it was when you graduated high school, or maybe when you graduated college, because now all that learning stuff is over. Did you feel free then? When was the last time that you felt free? Maybe the last time you felt free, you were driving down 95 by yourself, because you know that matters, by yourself with the window open, breeze in your face, and your favorite song playing in the background. When was the last time that you felt free? Freedom is something that we all desire if we're honest with ourselves. We even call our country the land of the what? Yep, y'all got it. Look, y'all can do this. We can talk to each other. The truth of the matter is we all want freedom. Freedom is actually something that is baked into the American DNA. I don't know that we've seen this desire for freedom more clearly than we have the last 10 years or so. Black people want a particular kind of freedom. Women want a particular kind of freedom. The LGBTQ plus community wants a particular kind of freedom. Christians want a particular kind of freedom. Immigrants want a particular kind of freedom. All of us in one way or another want freedom. For some of us though, we're not looking for freedom in the hot button issues of the day, all those things that I just mentioned. Some of us simply want freedom from a job that we are tired of working. Anybody going to say amen to that one? <laughs> Some of us want freedom from somebody that's just getting on our nerves. Some of us want internal freedom from depressing emotions or even a particular sin that won't seem to let us go. Freedom is actually a God-given desire. Freedom is a part of his image that we bear. After all, God is the truest definition of free because he is not mastered by anyone. Freedom is actually what is offered to us by Jesus, and it is what we offer to others to find in Jesus through the gospel. We know that this is true because the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5 wrote, for freedom, Christ has set us free. That's what he wrote. So I said it a few seconds ago that freedom is baked into our DNA as Americans. But this morning, I want you to know that freedom is actually a godly and a God-given desire. It's his. I want to explore this concept of freedom from a biblical perspective. And when I say a biblical perspective, I actually mean using the Bible. 
I want to explore this concept of freedom from the Bible, not from an American perspective. I want to explore this concept of freedom, not even from a cultural perspective. What does the Bible tell us about freedom? Better question, when did we lose our freedom? Enter Genesis 3.2. In Genesis 3.2, a question was asked. The question goes like this. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? That's the question, so I want to read that again because you have to see this. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? What does this question have to do with our freedom? Well, this question that was asked by a serpent was asked to free people. This question was asked to free people to cause them to question how free they actually were. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, what I want you to know is that this question is still being asked to you. But before we get into that, I think it's important to look at the context that's behind the question. Behind the question is, what did God actually say? Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. That's what God said. Again, the question is, did God actually say you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. If you were paying attention, then you know God didn't say that. God told them there was one tree they couldn't eat from. But the thing that I think that we should see is that God's command here that they cannot eat of this tree was a declaration of freedom. It was not first a prohibition. But we don't think like this. So I want to read it one more time to see if you can get it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Now, that seems simple enough. But because we live in a post-Genesis 3 world, a post-fall world, we actually need clarification. So let's start with this word, command. It says, and the Lord God commanded the man. When we hear the word command, what we hear is oppression. When we hear the word command, we hear somebody's trying to tell us what to do. If you don't believe me, ask a child when you tell them to do something. When we hear the word command, we hear somebody's trying to control us. Don't believe me, try to talk to a boss that you don't like who's telling you to do something you don't want to do. We hear that somebody is trying to keep us with the bounds that we don't want to be in. This is because we live in a post-Genesis 3 world. But what we should hear, what we should hear if we translate Moses' words that he wrote here, is that the Lord God sent the man on his way with these instructions. God says, go and eat of every tree of the garden. But we should stop. How hard is it for us to understand a God like this? How hard is it for us to understand a God who will send us on our way to have all that he has prepared for us? Is it not difficult for you to think about God like this at all times? We've been trained 
We've been trained to see God as the great lawgiver in the sky whose sole purpose with his creation is to govern it with an iron fist. But my question is, what if we are wrong? What if God is not governing us with an iron fist, but what if he's actually governing us with love? What if we are wrong and the reason why we interpret God's commands as oppressive is because we don't see the loving God who's giving them? Is anybody with me? These are the words that are written of God's chosen people in Jeremiah 31.3. It says, this is God talking, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. What if the next time you read a command in scripture, you believe this verse? What if the next time God is saying no to something, you believe that the God who's telling you no is the one who loves you with an everlasting love? What if you believe that he's drawing you with unfailing kindness? Because this is how God is talking about his chosen people, which, by the way, if you believe in Jesus, you are. Colossians 3.12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, look at how it describes us, and dearly loved. 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and then it says God's special, his own possession. If we could grab onto this truth that God's commands flow out of love, then I think we would hear God's commands differently. God said to the man, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. And what we should see is that these are words of love. God says, I am giving something to you, Adam, and you can have it. He loved Adam so much that he wanted to give. Now, let me ask you to think. John 3.16 says what? For God so the world that he did what? Okay, the point is God in his love is always giving, but we don't always interpret it as that. So we should start to call into question why we see God's commands and why we hear what he says as unloving when he's actually being the truest definition of love. God loved Adam so much that according to Genesis 2, he made the garden especially for Adam. Look at verse 8 of Genesis 2, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. When's the last time you thought about God as a gardener? Never probably, right? God is tending soil. Nah, he plants a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Adam did not just happen to be in the garden. Adam wasn't traveling and just ended up there. God made the garden for Adam as his residence, but you might not be seeing how good this is yet. So I want to take inventory of the place that God put Adam in. God plants a garden. This ain't no any old garden, no rinky-dink garden. God plants a lush garden. He causes the trees to spring up from the ground. He makes the rivers to flow through the garden to water it. This is like Disney princess stuff. This is like Sleeping Beauty singing to the birds, frolicking through the forest. This is how I imagine Adam at this time in his life. God makes this garden. 
And there's even gold and precious stones in the earth just ready to be had. Nobody's guarding them. Nobody's trying to steal them. The trees are abundant. They are fruitful. They are never to be depleted. This garden is a vacation destination. Do you see this? Because some of us are going to leave our homes in a few weeks to go find a place that looks like Eden. God says to Adam, this is your home. God says to Adam, bro, you can have it all. Now, I wonder, I wonder sometimes if our fixation on the tree, on the command where God said they can't have this one tree, messes up what we should actually be seeing. Think about the fact that God places the man on the earth with inherent freedom. Think about the fact that he creates him. And when God says to Adam, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, he wasn't lying. Now, here's the thing. People lie to us, don't they? The Bible actually says that God is not a man that he should lie. Sometimes we see God through the lens that we look at people through. But I got to continue. God places the man on the earth and he tells him to fill it. And if you're grown, you know what fill means, so I'm not going to get into that. God says, fill the earth. He says, subdue the earth. Subdue means to bring it under control. And then he says, have dominion. That is to have authority to rule over the earth. The man at the point of his creation was given the freedom to roam free. The man was given the freedom to eat free. The man was given the freedom to consummate his marriage as much as he wanted to. Amen, somebody. The man was given the freedom to do with the animals what he willed. We can continue. But the point is, God made the earth literally as a playground for the man. Are you seeing yet? How the command was a declaration of free and how freedom Adam, how free, I'm sorry, Adam should be. He told him, you're free. But here's our reality. Our reality is we don't have constructs for this kind of freedom. We live in a world where we are governed by tons of rules and tons of regulations, and they're the norm for us. The estimate in America alone is that since 1789, 30,000 laws have been enacted. That's a lot of laws. And the reality is we don't have the time. We have more laws than we have hours in a year to break all the laws. By the way, there are 8,760 hours in a year. I did the math for y'all, so y'all ain't had to do it yourselves. But forget about the 30,000 laws in our country. When you show up for work tomorrow, you'll be showing up for a job that you have willingly agreed to work within certain rules and regulations and guidelines. But forget that. You were born into a family where your parents or your guardians set out certain rules by which your behavior was to be governed. Then if you were me, your family takes you to church, <laughs> where a whole other set of rules and regulations are put on you that you have to live up to. What I'm trying to show you is that when God made this man and he created a place, it was good for him, and it was a place for him to have like for free. Anybody like free? Y'all lying if y'all say y'all don't like free. We all like free. 
God gave the man this garden to live in freely. We don't know this kind of freedom. We don't know this kind of freedom in our country. We do not know this kind of freedom on our jobs. We don't know this kind of freedom in our churches. We don't know this kind of freedom in our homes. We don't even know this kind of freedom in our hearts. We can't grasp a life where there is only one restriction. But wouldn't you like to? Just one restriction. You see, the only way that I, can th- that I think that we can begin to understand what is offered to us in Jesus is if we start to understand how God created this thing to be that we call life. See, the only way <laughs> that we can understand true freedom is to actually look to God. And as we look at God, we can understand ourselves because God made us to be free. If there's one thing I want you to take with you today, if you forget everything else that Jay said, he like he up there making jokes and stuff like that. I, ain't, I don't remember nothing this man said. If there's one thing you take with you today, I want it to be this. The problem isn't freedom. Because in Christ, Paul said, in Christ, we're actually free. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. The problem is we want absolute freedom. And we wrongly assume that it exists outside of God's governance, not in it. I'm going to repeat that for you. Somebody should actually be writing that down. The problem is we want absolute freedom and we believe that it exists outside of God's governance, not in it. God's command to the man meant that he was free, but what the command did not mean is that the man had no boundaries. You see, freedom can't even be understood without boundaries. Freedom needs a context of boundaries to even make sense. What am I free from and what am I free to do if there are no boundaries? Church, are you with me? Because there's so much here. Our culture does not teach you this, but I want to say this. Boundaries do not limit freedom. Boundaries do not limit freedom, they actually enhance it. When God said that they could surely eat of every tree of the garden, that's what he meant. He meant that they were free. It meant that they could have everything that he said that they could have without exception. It meant that they could have everything he said that they could have without limit. It meant they could have everything he said they could have without worrying and without fearing and without being ashamed and without feeling bad after the fact and without consequence. By the way, sin does not offer that to you. They were free to have all that God said that they could have. It was the focus on the boundary that brought about this enslavement mentality that we all still live in. They were bound up in thought and deed by what they could not have instead of freely experiencing what freedom had provided to them. Are we seeing this? I need y'all to talk to me. But because of them... Because of this scene that we see in Genesis 3, we all think like this. We tend to think in terms of what we cannot have instead of what we can. And so when you are thinking about Jesus, you think about Jesus and what he says you can't have instead of what he does provide. Uh, Somebody's got to hear that. Listen, we are talking about getting the gospel to people. But if you don't understand that people hear you in a particular kind of way, you'll miss your opportunity. People have to be able to understand what is provided to them by Jesus. I'm going to move on. 
The reality for us, again, is that we all think like this. And so what we do is we come to the Bible and we read about what doesn't belong to us. We hear commands of scripture and we see God as being oppressive. We come to God in prayer with the notion that he doesn't want to provide and he might not give. And so we may as well give up and just stop praying. But this mentality was birthed in Genesis 3. Now, I said this earlier, but I'm going to make the same statement again. So y'all don't put me out when I say this, okay? The prosperity gospel movement got something right. I'm going to tell you what they got right. What they got right is that God does own everything. And if God owns everything, God can give anything. They are right about that. God is without lack. He has everything we need and all the things that we want, and he'll give them to us. How do I know it? Because even this tree that God told them not to eat from was created for their enjoyment. I want to see if you can see this with me. Look at Genesis 129. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. In every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. Then according to Genesis 2.9, and out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. I'm going to say it again. Every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What are we seeing? We're seeing that all of the trees were made for man's enjoyment. All of them. But one tree was to be enjoyed within boundaries. So I want you to pay attention to this. God made, along with all the other trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he made it according to Genesis 2.9, pleasant to the sight and good for food. The restriction that God placed on the tree wasn't sight, but it was consumption. God never said you can't look at the tree. He only said, I don't want you to eat from it, according to Genesis 2, 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now think about this. There was a way in which they were free to enjoy this tree. (laughs) They were not free to eat it, but they were free to look at it. This looking was to be enjoyable, which is why Moses wrote that the tree was pleasant to the sight. It's because the tree was beautiful and because its beauty was to be desired. They were to find pleasure in it and they were to see it as something precious and filled with wonder. The line that they were not meant to cross was one of consumption. This is where our legalism comes from. You see, we have this saying... And I don't want you to hear me incorrectly. We tell people you should be satisfied in God and God alone. And every time I hear that, I wonder, what do we mean? And then do do people know what we mean when we say that? Because when I'm looking at this text, I'm seeing a God 
who, by the way, made the trees to be enjoyable for them to be satisfied with and to find pleasure in. I'm looking at a God who himself said, it's not good that Adam should be alone. And the question that I arrived at is, if God wants to be our God and he doesn't want us to enjoy anything else, why did he look at the man before the man sinned and said, it's not good that he be alone when the man had him? You see, sometimes we check our brains at the door. But think about this for a second. God made these trees. God made this woman. All the things that God was giving to Adam were not in opposition to him. They actually flow out of him to be enjoyed. Do you know that we actually believe that the serpent and the tree, we think that those things are something that Adam and Eve need to be protected from? That's not true, though. What Adam and Eve needed to be protected from was themselves. See, the tree was only as dangerous as whatever they believed the tree to be. The serpent's question was only as valid as they disbelieved God to be. Somebody going to get that when they get home. All right, let me move on. God had given them freedom. God's command was to keep them from death. It was actually protection, and it was protection against stepping outside of the boundaries of the freedom that he he had provided to him. But again, the problem is we want absolute freedom, and we wrongly assume that it exists outside of God instead of in him. But the sad thing is this question that he asked, did God actually say he going to feed you? Because that's what he said. Did God actually say you can eat is a question that we're always pondering within ourselves. When God says don't have sex outside of marriage, we say, is God withholding something from us? (laughs) I'm going to let you fill in the blanks of the rest of that list for yourself, okay? Because for all of us, we're always being presented with a command where God is saying don't cross this line. And we should really question how we see the line. And do we see it as something that is good for us? Do we think that God is trying to inhibit our freedom or is God actually trying to increase it? They didn't know that on the other side of eating this fruit wasn't real, real, real pleasure. (laughs) They didn't know that life wasn't out there. They had assumed based on what was prohibited that that there was something that they were missing out on when in actuality the thing that they were missing out on was something that they were never created to experience, which was death. Their rebellion caused the experience of death. Their rebellion caused pain. Their rebellion caused sorrow and turmoil that mankind wasn't created to bear. This is why death hurts so bad when we experience it. It's because it's unnatural. You see, death in all of its forms became a part of our existence as a, as a result of rebellion, not because that's what God actually wanted for us. I want you to know that God's commands are declarations of freedom. They're not simply prohibitions. They're not simply laws that he put in place to make us not have fun no more. God actually wants us free. 
And so if God's commands are declarations of freedom, what I think we should do is we should call into question everything else that we think. We should call into question every question that is asked when God says don't do a thing because the questions are set as a trap for bondage. The question that the serpent asked was meant for entrapment. (laughs) If God was giving them a command to free them, that's all the question could have been. There's a distortion in the question that was asked. He said, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? What he really said was that God said he wasn't going to feed you. Now, let's be careful because this is how sin and temptation, this is how temptation presents sin to us. Temptation says there's something that God is not going to provide for you, so you have to go do it this way. Temptation says there's something that God is trying to keep from you, but I got a way you can get it, and it's going to be a lot more fun. But that's meant to enslave you, not to free you. The question that was asked questioned if God's provision could be trusted based on God's prohibition. As if to say that because God gives boundaries, he can't possibly give freedom. But people still think like this to this day. We actually believe that God is not good if he tells us we can't have something. My brothers, my fellas, I'm going to talk to you for a second. In Matthew 5, 28, these words are recorded by Jesus. Jesus said, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. When we hear that word, when we hear those words and when we read those verses, we think to ourselves, God can't be good because God said, I can't appreciate the beauty of a woman. But is that what he said? Thank you. God can't be good because he said, I can't look at the beauty of a woman or see her as attractive. God didn't say that. Jesus said, don't lust after her. That's the line. Don't go beyond beyond the boundary that I've put in place. He says, you can look at it, which, by the way, is the same thing God said of this tree. You can look at it, but I don't want you to consume what I've told you not to consume. A lot of us men, we are consuming women and men in our minds lustfully, and that is a line that Jesus says, do not cross, but it's actually for our good. Okay. Ladies, where y'all at? Hey, ladies. (laughs) Proverbs 31.30, and we know this verse, I'm sure. The Bible says charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Legalism, I'm going to tell you where our legalism comes in. So in church, we tell women, don't you overfocus on your appearance because the Bible says that that's vanity. And after all, ladies, you're going to make men lust. Who has heard that? Okay. When in actuality, the word that we have for vain simply just means that beauty is fleeting and it will pass away. The scripture is an instruction on why your sole goal in life should not be on looking good. 
But it is not a prohibition against looking good. What it's a prohibition against is worshiping beauty. That's the line. So then what happens is the church tells you be ugly and the world says God is trying to keep you from looking good. And it's not true. Are we seeing this? All right, I know I just added. Hopefully, Lord, I didn't add to your word. I just was going to give my own translation. Forgive me, Jesus. (laughs) I just want you to see that this one question, did God actually say, has distorted how we understand everything that God has to say. This question has called into question something that we were never meant to question, which is God's goodness. But there's something else it did. It took all of the attention off of God and placed the attention on a created thing that God made for our good. Paul in Romans 1 called this the exchange. He says they've they've exchanged their worship of God for created things, which, by the way, he's not just talking about homosexuality just so we're all clear about that. This exchange is happening all around us. The created thing now becomes the determining factor of if God is good and worthy to be obeyed, don't believe me, look around. We see it in all the distortions of this world. God says, have dominion, which he said to Adam, and we humans enslave and traffic and oppress people. God says, be fruitful and multiply within the confines of marriage. And we say, we'll need marriage to have sex. Better yet, we'll redefine marriage as a whole. God says, subdue the earth, and we either say, destroy it or love the earth more than we love people. God says, have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens, and we say, save the animals, forget about the people. You do realize that all of the things that the world offers you outside of God are simply distortions of the very thing that God has given perfectly. The only answer to the problem is Jesus. If you continue reading in Genesis 3, God the Father actually promises Jesus. He actually promises a repair for all the brokenness that we see, and we have to believe that Jesus does something. Jesus calls us to freedom. I'm going I'm to tell you to look, think about Galatians 5 again. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. When's the last time, as you're talking to somebody about Jesus, you told them that Jesus wants them free? Because you should. (laughs) Jesus is offering us freedom every day. This is for believers and this is for unbelievers alike. We are being offered freedom. We have been created with inherent freedom that has now been taken from us because of sin. Jesus comes in to repair the brokenness, the freedom that we'll never get from anything or anybody else on a freedom is the freedom that Jesus provides. There's a freedom to live in communion with our creator because sin ripped that out the picture. Are we seeing this? We are called to freedom from our sin. Do y'all know you know, this was, this was a hot topic a couple months ago, the Capitol riots. Everybody had a lot to say about that, right? That may make some of y'all uncomfortable, but I'm cool with y'all being uncomfortable. 
Do you know what I saw when I saw the Capitol riots? I saw me. I saw me because no, I wasn't at the Capitol storming it. But quite literally, I am always storming the gates of heaven, telling God where he's wrong about what he says I can't have. I'm always looking at God and telling him, but you're trying to keep something from me. The reality is, I think all the time, God is not fair because God is withholding. But those thoughts that tell us that God is wrong when he's right, Those thoughts that tell us that God is withholding when he's giving are because of this question that was asked here. I want to make a statement to you. God is not trying to oppress us. God wants to free us. My son was clapping. (laughs) Thank you, son. Thank you. (laughs) Believers. As I close, I want you to know something. You are really free in Jesus. Galatians 5.13 says this, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but do love, serve one another. Don't our country need to hear that? What if we could embody that? Christ has called us to freedom, and what we do with this freedom is we love people. First Peter 2.16, live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. This world needs to see the God who gives, the God who is walking toward our sin, not away from it. By the way, after Adam and Eve sinned, after they ate, when he told them not to, you know where you see God? Looking for them. I want somebody to hear that. Because maybe you came in here, maybe you're online and you're looking at me through one of these cameras. When you sin, God is not walking away from you. He's walking toward you. But you experience it differently because you've walked away from him. The reality is God comes and he looks for Adam. If you read the narrative, God doesn't come and stomping mad. God doesn't come yelling to try to get them. God says, where are you? Adam, I was looking for you. Not that God don't know, because you know God knows where we at, even when we hide. But God was willing to come after his first created man to welcome him lovingly. Jesus did the same thing that we see God doing in Genesis 3 when he comes in the New Testament. Jesus comes to love us. He comes to free us even when we don't want him. What if at that point, what if at the point that we can understand that Jesus is the ultimate answer, we can understand that Jesus is offering us freedom? That Jesus is trying to rescue us. What if people knew that they didn't have to fight for their identity any longer? (laughs) Y'all know the identity conversation is a very big conversation right now. What if people knew that God, God has already said who they are and what God has made is good? Here's the paradigm that I want you to take with you this week. 
believe everything that God says and question everything else you see based on what God says. We tend to do the opposite. We believe everything we see and we question everything that God says. But we should believe everything that God says and believe that it's good for us and question everything else in light of it. Our vision of the freedom that God gives can be distorted. But that doesn't mean that God is not given freedom and it does not mean that he ain't good because he is. I want to close with this text from Psalm 1611. The writer says, you make known to me the path of life and in your presence, talking about God, there's fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God is always giving. God is never taking. In Acts, it actually tells us that we don't, God doesn't need anything from us. <laughs> He's the one that created our lives. And so I just invite you to believe in the freedom that you actually have in Jesus. And I invite you to believe in that freedom and offer it to somebody else. And invite them to the person of God, the person of Jesus, who wants to love them and who wants to free them. Amen, somebody? Let's pray. God, we are grateful. We are grateful that your word doesn't lie to us. We are grateful that your words are true. We just sung about that. We just talked about Christ being the solid rock on which we stand. There is no other solid ground. Everything else, as the old hymn says, is sinking sand. So God, I pray that you would ground us. I pray that you would ground us in your truth and allow us to look at our culture and see all the ways that people are abandoning freedom, not getting it. And I pray that you would allow us to step into that. I pray, Father, even now, God, if there's someone who is here or online who is listening who doesn't know the freedom that I was talking about, I pray that you help them to see it. I pray that you would grant them the gift of repentance. I pray that you would grant them faith. All of that comes through you because you are the giver. So I pray, God, that you would give it to us. For the believer that's here that does not feel free, I pray that they could believe Paul's words when he said it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. They are not bound by sin. They are not bound by shame. They're not bound by guilt. They're not bound by fear. We are free in Jesus because of what he's done and what he did was finished. God, we thank you for who you are. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus.